The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Good day. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is Mitch Winnick, President and Dean of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law. And I am joined by my co-host, Stephen Wagner. Stephen, good day to you. Hi, Mitch. How you doing? I'm doing well. Are you getting rained on there? No rain. I actually uh, drove away from the rain. I found some sun. Looks like that northern front was moving into the central coast, but avoiding uh, sunny, uh, I'll give up my location, Pasadena. <laughs> sunny Pasadena. Well, good for you. A little on the inland side. Yeah, exactly. That's well, right. Good. Well, I know they were getting rain. Up there. They're having the big game, as they say, down in San Luis Obispo today, which is when the Cal Poly women's soccer plays Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara's women's soccer. I think it's the That's right. biggest game of the year. But it's rain, so it's going to be a messy one. Yeah, so it'll be a sloppy field. It, it is. So here, here on the central coast up north, we got a huge rainstorm and it was maybe a thimble. So that's yeah, for us. Right. For us, the fact that you know, I had to use the windshield wipers was a, a downright torrential. Well, we, we, we need the rain and, and, and my research shows that there's another front coming in. So hopefully we'll get the water tables up. Well, good. Well, you know, last week we talked about phones and we talked about a new California law that's going into effect on January 1st, and that's restricting handheld use of any electronic device in the car. And as we reminded folks, as of January 1, they, they need to be careful. It's now a, could be a criminal violation, a, a traffic citation if they're using a handheld phone that's not mounted to the dash or mounted to the uh, windshield and they do any even if it's mounted and they do anything other than things that need a tap or a swipe right so we warned them that law's that's coming right. and it's and it's a similar laws in in many states and some other countries so you know we talked about why that's a great idea because the liability is is high and then just to recap uh, that law will make the uh, observation of a police officer of a motorist using a smartphone or a cell phone device uh, a primary offense, which means that that can be the reason that the motorist is pulled over. So 
a whole new set of rules coming into place in January of next year. That's right. So forearmed is forewarned. So they, people should not do it. And it was a bad idea anyway. We, we shouldn't have needed the law to tell us that. But now it's going to remind us because it's, it's a statute. That's true. And it gave us a good opportunity to talk about distracted driving, which is a major, major concern nationwide. And now we've got uh, another opportunity to talk about uh, cell phones, too. We do. Cell phones are having their, their day in the sun, aren't they? So we've got they, exploding they cell phones. I mean, <laughs> exploding. I, one, I saw one article that talked about, we're talking about the equivalent of 2.3 million exploding bombs that have been sent out into commerce. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that might be a little far. Yeah, no, I know that's true. It's, but but you know it's a really interesting topic. I mean, it's got uh, contract law, warranty issues connected to it, products liability issues, and obviously FAA and safety and flight. Very interesting issues. So why don't you set it up for us, Mitch? Well, so what we saw this week was that uh, two point five million Samsung Galaxy Note Seven cell phones that have been sold around the world have been recalled. Uh, they estimate it's perhaps as much as a five point three billion B with a B or billion with a B <laughs> billion with a B recall five point three billion dollar recall. Uh, Samsung announced that they were going to stop production, stop sales. They've recalled all of those Samsung Note 7s. And the, the problem was it appeared that they had, uh, I was going to say, you know, defective batteries. But we're going to talk a little about whether it's a defect or not. does affect perhaps uh, the legal rights and remedies that an individual would have if they were injured or damaged by one of these phones. Uh, and so... That, that was a big thing. I mean, it was a huge recall. But then the effective for us today, this morning, which is, is Saturday on October 15th, the FAA has determined that not only did you need to turn those phones off to get on a plane, you, they were banned from being, being brought onto the plane. And, you know, Mitch, I read the Department of uh, Transportation's uh, press releases, a few of them, and it's, uh, it's really pretty uh, attention-getting when you look at the way it's described. Uh, the Galaxy Note 7 device is considered a forbidden hazardous material under the Federal Hazardous Material Regulations Act. So it's right up there with explosive devices and other items that you're not to take on a plane. I know. I, I really found that quite astounding. I mean, it's not, it's not that we didn't see the danger. I mean, there were, I think, 20 to 30 that actually caught fire. There have been 90 to 100 incidents worldwide. I mean, 90 to 100 incidents out of 2.5 million. Um, but the, if it happened in a plane, that is a particular problem. Yeah, and you know, the, the term they use to describe... Uh, the the what I would call or the layperson would call the exploding phone or or the fire hazard is a dangerous evolution of heat, which is a term used to describe what happens when a lithium battery or some type of a battery would overheat. So it's a form of ignition. I know it, it was it was really I, I'm with you. I read the Department of Transportation's 
press release a notice on that, and the the language I found was you know, incredibly strong. I mean, they were not messing around. They they not only banned it, they actually added the potential criminal penalties if you were found smuggling, in essence, smuggling a phone in. I guess they said if you attempted to bypass the safety regulations, which would be another word for smuggling, uh, there could be criminal criminal re- repercussions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and another rich issue here is the issue of uh, how uh, people are noticed of this ban, you know, um, and how laws and uh, people become uh, on notice or aware of laws. You know, there's been mass publications and press releases on this, and it'll be interesting to see if anybody actually gets caught, as you say, smuggling a phone <laughs> on it. And, and, and really what would happen between the flight attendant and the, uh, what we'll call loosely the smuggler. Well, that's right. So I was flying yesterday, and the, this notice came out not long after I landed. So I was flying between Los Angeles and San Fran- and, and Monterey, between Los Angeles and Monterey, uh, one of these small, very small regional planes. And the flight attendant did make an announcement, and they made an announcement, not about this, about the prior recall, and they said... Uh, does, if anyone has a Samsung Note 7, uh, we need to, to see it, and we need to see that it has been turned off, okay? And so that, they had already signaled it out, and not long after I landed, this came out, which meant that the the announcement this morning would have had to been, if if you have a Samsung Note 7, you've got to turn it over. So we're coming up on the break, but but doesn't that just... You talked about the the question mark with the flight attendants. I mean, who who has the right to confiscate, and what are they going to do if somebody says no? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting issue. These are flight Very attendants. I mean, they have a job. You know, they do have a safety responsibility. Uh, no different than if you they caught you, you know, smoking in the restroom or saw other uh, type of behavior that was threatening or dangerous. But generally, but they're not, they're, they're not what we would think of as peace officers. No, they're and, not trained yeah, for yeah, that. That's an interesting issue. Let's kick that one around when we get back from the break. That and the warranty issue, because, you know, the interesting uh, dichotomy between manufacturer, retailer, and end user is also intriguing. It is, and we're going to need to talk a little about you know things such as strict liability, which is something you know, I even remember back in law school. That that was kind of the the golden rule of of consumer protection. This was the one where if they if somebody has made has made what they think is a defective or dangerous device, it doesn't. There's no fault involved. It's right. absolute strict liability. For That's right. So we can weave a fact pattern and actually make a fire, maybe. <laughs> I think we could have the phone explode, <laughs> and and we could have it explode in different places and have different people potentially injured. And we're going to have to walk through each of those elements. So after this break, we're going to take on all of those issues with the Samsung Seven exploding phone. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Don't go away. We will be right back.
Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings, so I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them, and Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy LaRevere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is Mitch Winnick, and I'm joined with my co-host, Stephen Wagner. And today we're going to walk through the, the challenging and in some cases complex legal issues that have come up with the recall of the Samsung Note 7 and its ban, total ban, from being brought onto a commercial airliner. You know, Stephen, it brought to my mind the fact that you know, we've talked about Second Amendment rights, but we've never really talked about transport firearms on an airplane and and you can declare and transport an unarmed firearm in your luggage you cannot take it on on board but but you can also transport I think on some airlines up to 10 pounds of ammunition in as luggage and so uh, how how is that as far as a juxtaposition of you could take 10 pounds of ammunition on an airplane but you can't take its cell phone yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I, you know, I don't know about you know. It makes me think about the possibility of separating the battery from the actual cell phone or something like that by analogy. But um, the idea behind allowing firearms and ammunition on, first of all, only a select few people can do that. There must be documentation to establish that the person's got a, a license to carry. But obviously, the the separation of the ammo and the actual weapon. Is, is what makes it feasible or, or right. possible. Right. So let's talk about the, the various factors you raised in the first segment about the, the various liability that, that comes about or the questions about liability. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Well, there, you had mentioned you'd already introduced strict liability. Okay. And, 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 and I guess we can talk about that and the idea of product liability waivers or whether you can even waive a product liability claim. Um, strict products liability arises out of, uh, really out of case law and a development of new rules uh, that relate to products that cause an injury um, when they're used for their intended purpose. And in California, there's a state of cases, I think, that really came out came out in the early 60s. There's one case called Greenman versus Yuba Power Products, which involved power tools, I think, uh, and an injury that was caused by using the power tools. So the idea behind strict liability is that liability can be established without necessarily proving fault with a degree of specificity that you'd normally have to prove in a normal, let's say, negligence action. So they don't have uh, to actually prove that, let's say, the employer knew there was something wrong with it. They, they put the product out, the argument it, would be right. it's being used for its intended purpose, and there's an injury. And so the question right. is, was the product defective for its intended use? Is that is that where right. we're going with it? That's that's right. So I mean, the main implication is that the the um, onus or the burden of proof on the injured party is lessened to a to a large degree because there is not a requirement to prove causation and fault to the level that you would traditionally in a negligence case. So in, the, in this case, you know, one of the articles talked about that you know, Samsung may be saying, you know, wait a minute, it's, it's not us. It's a third party who uh, produced defective batteries. And that therefore it's that third party that should be liable, not Samsung. 
and then this goes to the question that you were raising, which is that, but if even if they exercised all their care and bought it from a reputable, bought their parts from a reputable manufacturer, installed them the right way, sold them the right way, it doesn't really matter if it's deemed to be defective, right? Yeah, that, no, that's right. And, you know, you raise a really good point, Mitch, about the fact that the, uh, the exact uh, instrument or... Uh, methodology used in the phone that causes the danger may actually turn out to be another manufacturer. So there could be a lot of people and the term would be the chain of distribution. And in all products liability cases, there's finger pointing, um, you know, one defendant or named defendant would point to another that they would argue should be more at fault for their contributions or or their problem, or the problem that they cause. And so I think that this, there's another factor that comes into this, because with that strict liability and the the, the damages, it, it's a broader range of damages and a broader range of individuals who could bring a cause of action because of the injury, right? So yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're right. sitting there, if let's, let's go back to this, this uh, notion of a plane exposure, uh, phone exploding or catching fire on an airplane, um, you know, let's let's assume it's a 50-person plane, a small regional plane. Well, you're going to have, at one end of the spectrum, there may be people with actual physical injuries, burns, and, and they're, they're injured from that. They could have had smoke inhalation, actually physical injuries. But in a case like that, there could be claims from every single person on that plane who went through the terror of a fire on the plane and emergency landing and all of the consternation that goes along with it, uh, they may not have an actual burn or inhalation, but but under a strict liability case, wouldn't they have a potential claim they, for damages as well? They would, and you hit on another point that highlights sort of the, the wide net that can be cast under a strict liability theory, and that is that bystanders now have what used to be called standing, I think that term is still used, it's not one of my favorites, but um, they could be aggrieved parties and recognized in the cause of action. So even though there's no privity between a bystander and the purchaser of a phone, because you'd think normally that it would be the purchaser of the phone that would be the primary user and the likely individual to be injured if there was something like uh, intense heat emanated from the phone or perhaps a fire. But, but you're right, it, it is an important point. That, and that is a unique feature of strict liability that bystanders, even though they don't have privity or direct connection with the purchase, could still be potential plaintiffs, yeah. So this, this $5.3 billion, that's really just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? That's, that's their cost of the recall. We haven't that's even right. gotten to the point of the cost of anybody and everybody who believes that they've suffered some level of damage uh, because, you know, because of these incidents. Uh, that, so let's go. So I, I, get the, I get that part. That one I think everybody understands. And that's the, the ultimate consumer protection. And you're right to point out, it, it's easy to forget 
that some of those rights have only been around about 50 years, you know, 1960s. So about 50, maybe 60 years. So it's within, you know, one generation that we've had those type of consumer protection against defective products and manufacturers. Before that, that's right. it was each, each plaintiff on their own, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, Mitch, if I can get this out before we leave the strict liability topic, one intriguing issue here connected to the the ban on uh, bringing the phones on aircrafts is if someone does bring it onto an aircraft and there is an injury, that person is on notice that they shouldn't have brought it on. Okay, so hold Air- it right on there. Notice that they shouldn't have brought it on because I see where yeah. you're going on that. Let's pick that back up after the break. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Don't go away. We will be right back. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy LaRiviere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home, and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable, and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. If you are a small business owner, you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. SBA.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners, including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. 
Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney. SBA.gov. Have you thought about a law degree? Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere, at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org. That's S-L-O-Law.org. It is one thing to argue with your friends at the bar, but have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org, spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G, is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to Oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. OEA.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to OEA.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument. Welcome back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is Mitch Winnick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Wagner. We're talking today about liability issues that have arisen with the recall of the Samsung Note 7 and its ban for being brought on to commercial aircraft. Uh, Stephen, right before the break, you were you were about to talk about, I think, possible liability of an individual who brings brings one of those phones on the plane after the ban and you had I think mentioned at the very beginning that the language in the ban was really quite extraordinary it said passengers who attempt to evade the ban by packing their phone in check language are increasing the risk of a catastrophic incident I mean they're really lying it down there as to what the liability issue is isn't it they are, but let me watch me try to weave this back into strict liability measures. Okay. Over analyzing this, but but I'll count on you to uh, to kind of to balance the discussion. But one of the things that is often a defense to strict liability from the manufacturer's perspective is misuse of the product. So okay. you recall in law school the classic hypothetical of the axe. 
Okay, an axe is inherently dangerous, isn't it? That's correct. Got a sharp end and a blunt end, and both of them can cause danger. Just by definition, right? Right. But if you, if you use the axe as a hammer instead of to chop wood or for its intended purpose, and an injury results, believe it or not, the manufacturer might have a defense, and it would be misuse of product. That's right. So, because there is, they are protected that there ought to be a an anticipated use or a reasonable range of right. uses. Correct. So here's here's what I'm trying to to work back into the uh, the flight ban and products liability. In an odd way, this ban is actually helpful to Samsung because if something does occur, some kind of an event where someone's injured by virtue of bringing one of these phones on to a flight, that's going to be, I think, something that could be defined as misuse because it's a violation of the law that's in, in effect. And, and isn't I, it possible well, I, to... Can I share that? Yeah, I mean, I, actually, I'm with you on that. And, and that one of these other ideas is assumption of risk. So there's sometimes you use a product and there's a certain presumed risk by doing it. And could one possibly stretch it as far as say, look, if you're going to attempt to bring one of these banned phones in, or let's say right now you've just chosen not to send it back in, you're still powering it up, carrying it around, using it, even though there has been a clear recall, uh, there's a possibility that an assumption of risk argument yeah. could be made. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And then, and then in that case, Samsung or any other manufacturer in a similar situation would use the prolific notice of this issue to their benefit, that you were on notice uh, of, of the danger. So let me throw one back at you. You'd mentioned it earlier about notice. You brought it up again, but is it actual notice? You know, you say you know, widespread, so the DOT has put something out, Samsung's put something out. We're talking about it. I mean, we're talking about it. Everybody must know about it, right? But, but let's say someone doesn't know. Somebody is uh, camping and they're outside of the normal range and they come back and, you know, they fire their phone back up because they're back in the range and blam, an injury happens. They had no notice and no method of getting notice. How does that play? Yeah, Yeah, when you take it outside of the flight realm, I think that makes it a little bit more challenging to establish the notice issue. So in other words, if, if an injury were to incur not in a flight or on your way to a flight at the airport, I suppose, it would, it would make the notice issue a bit more challenging because while the danger was noticed, the actual ban is a little bit different. Well, let me go one step further. So I actually got a copy of the manufacturer's warranty that they put out, or the product, and in this case, it's the product liability waiver. That, That's right. that goes along with this actual phone. And I won't read the whole thing, but if you essentially, if you start at the top of that Samsung product liability waiver, it basically says in big, bold print, we're not liable for anything, period, end of story. And then it says it about 10 different ways. We're not liable for this, and we're not liable for that. And at the very end, not only are they attempting to 
you know, waive, uh, set up the notice that they don't, they're not claiming liability, then they say use of this product is by definition your waiver of right. any claim should you be injured by this product, right? So, and that's not that, we're picking on Samsung, but that's a fairly standard product it, liability waiver. It is. It's, it's what the, in the industry would, is often called boilerplate language. But it, but it does have teeth. You know, the, the law is such, and, and we should share with our listeners that this involves the sale of goods. So the Uniform Commercial Code is the operative body of law. And the issue of whether or not uh, warranties can be disclaimed has been pretty well decided. And it, both express and implied warranties can be disclaimed and the action centers around whether or not they're conspicuous or not. And, and, and we've had that talk before in different shows that, you know, the, the fine print or the buried language kind of thing, it's gotta be obvious to the buyer. But again, it goes back to if there's already been a finding of strict liability, then the odds of a product liability waiver having any effect are almost zero. That's but, true. But if That's it's merely a product recall and you're claiming damages, and so here's, here's what I, I question, and I'd just be interested in your thoughts on it, because it's not just the phone. Okay, so you've, got, you've lost the phone. You're, they're going to give you a new phone if you still want another one, but they're going to give you some type of a new phone. You're entitled to that. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, the manufacturer of Samsung is going to step up. Right, so the manufacturer's warranty, they're honoring that. They're going to say, you're entitled to a replacement phone, period. Okay, good for that. But what about the interruption of your business? So you, you, they're not going to get a new phone instantaneously. What if you were halfway through a business flight yesterday, the ban is now there, and, and you can't bring that phone home. You can't get back on your return flight and come home with the phone. So you, you've lost your use of that device for business purposes during your cross-country flight. You don't ha you're not going to have one when you get home. You're going to have to wait and file your claim and get something sent to you. I mean, it could be a couple days, right? You know, you know, Mitch, it's moments like this that you make me want to start drafting practice questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. So you're, what you're getting at here is you're getting at the issue of monetary damages. Or There's damage real loss. Yeah, I can measure yeah. them. I can measure my yeah. lost business over the course of, let's say, 72 hours that I've been denied the use of this product that... I paid good money for and was using it in the right way, and bam, now I don't have it. Yeah, so let's go with with, uh, with business disruption, which I think is okay. where you were headed. That's let's where I was headed. That, let's say that deals fell through by virtue of the user's inability to use the phone. That's right, I couldn't call them back. We were in a tight bidding war for something, and I just failed to respond in the deadline, and the offer expired, not to be oh. reissued. Gone. And of course, all, all members of your team were Samsung users, right? Let's assume that for a moment. Okay, yeah. So then it's going to go to the issue of uh, can you prove damages with specificity? So you would need to establish that uh, and, and damages can't be speculative. That's one of the main cardinal rules. You need to be able to prove damages with specificity. So if you argue that a deal fell through because of the disruption, you would need to be able to prove that but for the disruption, 
you were sure to close on that deal. In other words, right. So if there were still negotiations going on, that would be a a little bit of wiggle room for them to say you weren't guaranteed. Yes. But that's the scenario I gave you. So let's say uh, I had the right to respond by three o'clock. And as long as I responded by three o'clock, I got it. We win. I got it. Okay. I have no phone. I have no way to replace it. Three o'clock comes and goes. Bam. I lose the deal. Cannot get it back. Yeah. Close enough? You think you might take that case? Under under those circumstances, you might have it. It's very difficult to believe that you can't find it on the phone. Well, that's where I was going to go to next. So you got to prove that that was your only method of communication. You couldn't. You couldn't step up to your good friend next door who's smart enough to be part of the iPhone part of the world, not this dark side, um, and and say, could I borrow your phone for just a moment? Well, let me go one more step. We're coming again, running right up on the break here. But but what about loss of data? See, I thought about that as well. Sometimes yeah. with these phones, yeah, they're not phones; they're computers. So when we come back from this break, let's let's talk about: Is there That's any chance you could claim on loss of data? Don't go no. away. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. We'll be right back. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go, so it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud, deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. F. 
FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at FTC.gov. Although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud, deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at FTC.gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy Law Revere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to ConstitutionCenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. Welcome back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is Mitch Winnick, joined by my co-host Stephen Wagner. And Stephen, we're talking about the the potential loss of business business income loss when a product causes you that that loss. We we've been talking about the Samsung phone, and and actually, I guess we should remind people uh, this entire conversation could be applied to many different products. This, the concept of strict liability, manufacturer's warranty, express liability, implied liability. I mean, that goes across all products. It's just that this this phone issue is such a big one and cell phones seem so critical to our day-to-day life that it does raise some other wrinkles doesn't it absolutely so you know your question about loss of data that's uh that's one that i haven't really considered 
uh, right away. Uh, I assume you're asking, it's, it's connected to the loss of business or disruption, right? Yeah, because in some cases, you know, let's say you haven't done a cloud backup or an automatic backup, and I could see where perhaps, let's say you're a small business person, you're like, let's say an individual who does service business, you don't have an office, you don't have workers, uh, your phone is how people get in touch with you, and it's your entire database of clients. They're all right there in that phone, in that device, and let's just assume for the moment that you didn't do what everybody tells you to do, which would be have backed it up somewhere, because certainly that's available and, and even free. You could have backed it up, but let's assume you didn't. Now the device is dead. Do you have any claim, do you think? And, you, and the claim is that it's irretrievable. Irretrievable. And, that, and yep. as a result, you have suffered harm in the form of Fill in the blank for me. Yeah, business interruption. You no longer, you've lost your client list. Uh, you're, you're, you're disrupted. You're going to have, it's going to take you weeks perhaps to get your list back together. You, you're missing calls. You can't get back to people. It just puts you out of business temporarily. Yeah, so I would say the same issue, I, I have the same answer actually, that it's going to raise the issue of whether it's speculative or not. You know, right. you still need to be able to prove that it, it costs, it caused you out-of-pocket damages. And frankly, Mitch, it would be a novel issue under a strict products liability theory, for sure. Yeah, and because I do know that under your express warranty, you know, they're, they limit their damages to replacing the hardware. And That's right. if you've added on additional software or apps, uh, you you don't get reimbursed to put those back on. Uh, if they've been corrupted, all they're going to do is send you a new device. That's what the express warranty says. So you would have to find some claim under one of these other categories to, to even try to make that claim. I think I would agree with you. And then that's also true of the implied warranty of merchantability and the implied warranty of fitness for a particular purpose. The right. other two important warranties. Yeah. So, so let me throw another just curveball on this because I thought this was interesting. I, I wasn't familiar with the thing called a fire containment bag. And and evidently when the, these first happened, and this isn't just limited to this Samsung, that a number of the airlines have started using a product called a fire containment bag. It's That's right. It's right. made up of a fire-resistant material with stand-up to 1,760 1, degrees Celsius. I don't really know what a typical fire goes to in heat, but that seems like that's hot, really hot. Yes, <laughs> yes. And you put it in the bag, it puts out the fire, and it, and it protects everybody. You zip it up. Yeah, yeah, seemingly impervious. I, I read a story about that with Alaska and I think maybe Delta, right? Yeah, so that made me think. So if, if the airlines are taking it upon themselves to add that product onto their planes as a safety device, not unlike the requirement to have fire extinguishers certain places that you, there are uh, codes that require uh, individuals who allow the public to come into their place. You have to have a fire extinguisher. Rental units have to have a fire extinguisher required. I was just wondering, it made me wonder, well, who else might be perhaps required to start keeping these fire containment bags? And I was thinking almost, almost anywhere that you're going to have 
a, a small group of, or I mean, a group of people packed into a small space with limited, you know, ing- egress and ingress coming in that I could possibly see where these become a safety requirement. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So you're thinking it should apply to any common carrier. BART, for instance. Could be BART. Could be, why wouldn't a, a bus um, or a train car or a taxi or a limo? Um, I was even thinking, I wondered if, you know, in certain circumstances, if you're a, a school with classrooms, uh, should there be something like that to be required. And it just just got me thinking down that path that that's, in some ways, the easiest answer is is not just, because you can't really sometimes put those fires out because they're very intense, they're very hot, they're electrical fires, but somehow you get the device into the bag and you're safe. That's right, that's right. So, so we found another way to talk about smartphones. I can't believe that we want some cars to, to airplanes. I know, cars to airplanes. Unfortunately, somehow we couldn't get the smartphones on the drones. Oh. <laughs> we, we, we didn't get drones in there. So we're going to revisit uh, Supreme Court cases? Yes, we are. I was, I'm glad you mentioned that. So next week, we're not going to do a live show. We're going to do an encore presentation of our preview of the Supreme Court the, the October term of the U.S. Supreme Court, and that's it's just as valid now as it was then because they're just getting started, and we're going to actually have to come back to that at some point. We'll bring Michael Cohen back in in a couple months to tell us what the court chose to do uh, because there's still a bunch of interesting cases going through that there term. Are. So. Yeah, that'll be a very worthy repeat, I think, Mitch. That was a very good segment. Yep. So that's that's next week. We've done phones, phones. I don't know. What do, what do, what do you think we should do? Let's just play a little what if. What do you want to do after that break? Yeah, we get a week off. Up oh, there's the music. You're not going to be able to answer. They're going to have to wait and actually dial in to find out what we're going to do next. Stephen, thanks as always. Great show. You've been listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. A reminder that you can go to voiceamerica.com to hear archived versions of this. You can also go to wagnerandwinnick.com to hear previous shows. As we suggest to you every single week, if you don't know the law, know a lawyer. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.